Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Sex, Love, and Addiction. This show was created to provide accurate expert information and support for those seeking insight into the painful realities of cheating and infidelity, sex and porn addiction, as well as the relationship between chronic drug abuse and paired sexual behavior, commonly known as chemsex. I'm your host, Dr. Rob Weiss, a licensed therapist, addiction specialist, sexologist, clinical educator, and author of 10 books on intimacy, addiction, sexuality, and relationship health. This podcast is a forum for discussing sex, love, and addiction in frank, fact-based, informative ways. My primary goal is to bring you clear advice, opinions, and feedback from some of the world's most renowned experts in human sexuality, trauma, addiction, mental health, and relationship intimacy. This show is sponsored by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs, which are also dedicated to providing expert-focused, highly specialized residential treatment for men struggling with sex, porn, and related addictions. You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. Hey, everybody. I have a colleague and friend I want to introduce you to who I've known for about, oh, I don't know, 12 or 15 years. This is my friend, Mari Lee. Mari is a licensed family and marriage counselor, uh, a sex addiction specialist, therapist, and supervisor. She's the founder of Growth Counseling Services in Glendora, California, as well as the Shine Women's Retreat in Laguna Beach. Mari is also a respected author of several books, which I hope we talk about a little bit, and a popular speaker presenting around the U.S. on topics of betrayal, trauma, and betrayal trauma, social advocacy, and women's issues. Thank you, Mari Lee. Hi, Rob. Nice to be here with you. Well, I love having you. And I know that we have a little bit of a history because you had, from the get-go, wanted to get into this work. And you heard a little bit of my speaking. And I guess I want to ask you, and here's a good question. I hear a lot of spouses ask this. Why would a female therapist want to work with men with these issues? They often think like, and I don't mean to, to trap you here, but it just came into my head. They often will say stuff to me like, why would a woman want to hear this all day? Or isn't she sort of interested in my man? Or isn't there something vicariously thrilling? Or, you know, they, they kind of struggle. They understand why a man would want to sit there and, with a guy who's screwed up, but not a woman. So why don't we start there? What is it like to be a woman doing this job? Do you feel any less or more effective being a woman talking to men about sexual issues? And, and why do you take it on? Oh, I love this question. Thank you so much. Uh, well, yeah, I think it's a it's a good question, and it's a question that I've certainly had delivered to me via partners and via addicts as well. The short answer is I didn't always want to work with addicts. When I uh, came into the work, I was a former partner myself, and my passion was really about supporting traumatized partners. At that time, you know, we're harking back uh, nearly 20 years now, right, Rob? There wasn't a lot of information and support for partners in our work. There were little little bits, you know, things that you were doing. And well, so much of it was based in codependency at the time. We didn't have a way of looking at partners that was more compassionate, empathic, and, you know, we didn't have prodependence. So we weren't looking, yes, you're right, there, there wasn't much, especially before the 2000s. Correct. 
And so in doing my, um, my thesis and then uh, my clinical internship, I knew that I wanted to be somebody that created healing spaces, material support, community for partners, partners in pain, um, partners, to your point, that have been labeled as uh, codependent or co-addict or, you know, pathologized in some way that was just truly unhealthy, you know, for that partner and frankly for the addict as well. So the first six months of getting in to the work with partners, I quickly realized, Rob, that working with solely the partner was limiting my depth and breadth as a clinical practitioner, as somebody who wanted to grow as a therapist. And I felt that it was really important for me to really get in there, be brave, be courageous, and get in there and start working with addicts. Because how could I really understand the partner's pain points if I didn't really get in there and start understanding what was driving the behaviors that these partners were sharing about in their clinical sessions. And what changed for you in moving from working only with partners or really understanding betrayal issues to moving with the addicts? What what shifted for you since you did do that work? Well, I began to really understand in a different way that, that these choices that you know, the addict, whether it be female or male um, or non-binary for that matter, you know, were making was they weren't because, you know, they were trying to do something to the partner. And in, in some ways, it really wasn't even about the partner. Right. And so that was an eye opener for me. Like, oh, wait a minute. You know, even though sex addiction and these choices or porn addiction or sexual compulsivity or infidelity or whatever it is and the deception around that certainly impacts a partner. In some ways it becomes, of course, about the partner, but it wasn't because of anything that they were or they weren't. They had really no control over that. And this is, may I just interrupt and say that this is one of the, you know, it's funny, Mari, I have to say this. You know, I'm online twice a week on both in the rooms on Fridays and on sexandrelationshiphealing.com on Mondays. And I'm doing live discussions. And inevitably, every single week, some partner says, if I nag at him too much, if I yell at her too much, if I gain too much weight, if I pay too much attention to the kids, does that mean that he or she's going to go back to their alcoholism or their sex addiction? Or, And I have to say to partners, and it breaks my heart to say, don't you realize there's nothing you could do to make this person do that? They may be upset. They may be angry. They may be fearful, but there are all kinds of things they can do with those feelings other than go have sex with a stranger or get drunk. And somehow we've left partners with this belief that they are somehow responsible for an addict's behavior when you know, an addict may not be happy, but they have a lot of choices about how they carry that unhappiness out. Absolutely agree. So Maury, um, you've worked with partners, you've worked with addicts, and I really see you as sort of the example of um, really a, a really solid, good therapist who does this work well and has great compassion for both people. And it sounds like you've gotten to a point where it's really hard to point a finger, like you can't really wag your finger at the spouse and say, well, you're doing, and you can't really wave your finger as easy as it could be at the addict and say, how could you, where does that leave you? Yeah. Well, first of all, I I don't know that making anybody the bad guy, you know, in a coupleship is helpful. (laughs) But you betrayed me. You slept around on me. You broke promises. You didn't carry out our commitment. You hurt me when I expected you to protect me. I'm just giving you a few lines I've heard over the years. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And and all of those things are very, very true. You know, that person did, in fact, um, do those behaviors. And those behaviors are hurtful. And they have impacted you. And you have every right to feel betrayed. You have every right to be angry. You have every right to feel hurt. You have every right.
right to hold your significant other responsible for the behaviors he or she has contributed to the trauma in the relationship. There's nothing wrong with that. What I do, Rob, is I I do a lot of psychoeducation around what's going on in the brain and the nervous system. Could you tell us a little bit of that now? And first of all, I'm not sure everyone knows what psychoeducation is. So it sounds like you're educating your clients a little bit more than just about the ther- the issues of therapy. What are, what are you helping them understand? Yeah, um, I'd be happy to do that. So when we talk about psychoeducation, basically it is about educating the client. And I am a big believer in therapists pulling back the curtain. You know, we're not, we're not the Wizard of Oz. We need to pull the curtain back and we need to educate our clients on what's going on in their nervous system. And I'll explain that in a minute, what's going on in the brain. So what I often say to partners is, I want you to be heard. I want your significant other who has hurt you this way to be able to hear you. And so I talk about this little part of the brain called the amygdala. And it's this funny little part of the limbic system that I call the bullshit center of the brain, right? (laughs) And so that's that really sensitive little part of the brain that what's very interesting is it's very closely uh, located to the auditory canal. The auditory canal, of course, is words go into our ear through the auditory canal, and we hear them if we have the gift of hearing, and they impact us in some way. This is why music is one of the most powerful experiences for us. It goes directly to our emotions. That's right. That's right. And our emotions are, you know, those emotions are triggered in what's called the hippocampus. So what's the hippocampus? Just think about that as a memory center, right? It's, It's a complex system, of course, but it holds all of our memories. So if, for example, why is this important, right, for a partner to know? Yeah, yeah. What does that have to do with my husband going out and having an affair? Right. Why is that important? So it's important because if your husband, right, was uh, raised in a family system where there was screaming and yelling, where the primary female caregiver, maybe that was grandma or an aunt, a foster care mother, maybe it was mother, whoever it was, or, you know, several older females were screaming, yelling, disciplining, threatening, what's called parentifying or shaming. There's a shaming tone, a lecturing tone. How could you do that? You're a bad boy. Don't you do that again? Or this will happen. I'm thinking not just once though. I mean, because every parent says, oh, I'm mad at you once in a while. But you're talking about a consistent, not just once, but a consistent way of treating a child where they don't gain a sense of worth. That's right. That's exactly right. Beautifully stated. Where they don't gain a sense of worth, that they're, what I often say is, you're, where your voice was not heard, valued, understood, or respected. You had no personhood. You had no autonomy. There was shaming. And so these men learn in systems like that, where there's persistent shaming of the child, to hide, to lie, to be deceitful. I look out on the outside, but on the inside, I'm not going to tell you what's going on because you might shame me, abandon me, and all those things again. Right. And I'm, I'm shame-based. And I know that if I do something, my core schema, my core belief in myself is I'm a screw up. I'm going to fuck up and I'm going to be in trouble and and I'm not worth loving. And that's really the core schema, the core message. And many of the addicts that I work with is I'm worthless. 
But then addicts go out and do things that ensure that they are going to get that exact response. Exactly. And that's part of that trauma reenactment, right? That's part of the PTSD response. That's part of reinforcing that core message. So that's the beauty of therapy is that, and that's one of the reasons why I love working with addicts, is we first have to know what that internal scripting even is. We need to understand where that comes from. You know, oftentimes when I'm working with an addict, maybe they're what I call spouse mandated, they're in therapy because my wife will leave me if I don't go to therapy. I will call them um, wife referrals. Wife referrals. I like that, right? And they'll come into therapy and, and say, I don't want to dig into my past. My, I don't, you know, I'm fine to find out why I'm doing what I'm doing, fine, whatever, but I don't want to you know, go into my past and learn about my childhood. I don't want to be in therapy for four years. And how can you say to me, I'm 45, what does my mother did to me when I was three have to do with now? Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so when we, when I, right, teach an addict about what happened to them and what was set up within them does impact their brain, their choices, their their neurochemistry, the rest of their lives and their relationships. And if they want to create a relationship that they're proud of, they first have to understand the relationship that they have with themselves. Yes, Mari, that couldn't have been better said. And and you're right. When spouses, you know, it is very, very hard to hear. And I think this is a challenge, in fact, that I want to bring up to you, which is I've worked with let's say women who have an alcoholic husband and they're mad, they're hurt, they're angry, they're furious, but they don't take it personally much of the time. Even when it's, if you love me, you drank at some point on some level, they realize, wow, you know, this drinking is really not about, you know, this is just way beyond our relationship. Or even if they do take it personally, there's something different about saying my husband, or let's say my husband is sick and he's an alcoholic and he needs help and he's going to get better, that I think those partners have a sense of empathy for the addict or the alcoholic. But when you tell a woman that, you know, well, your husband had 300 prostitutes in last year and he's had four affairs and, you know, he's masturbating to porn three times a week and he's troubled and this comes from trauma and he's broken. It's so hard for them because, you know, if your husband just had an affair, then he's just a jerk. But if there's something wrong with him, then it's confusing because I want to feel concerned for the person I love, but what I'm concerned about also involved the way they hurt me. And I think it's almost more difficult for the partner who has to look at their husband or wife as troubled because they want to have empathy for that troubled person, but they're so angry. And so I wonder if there's anything in there that you might touch on. Yeah. Well, I think the difference between, although it's you know, very hurtful to be with a spouse or a partner who is struggling with alcoholism, um, to your point, using that as an example, a bottle of vodka doesn't have breasts and a penis or a vagina. It is a different type of pain. There's a different level of betrayal because that woman is feeling betrayed on, you, you know, her very worth and safety and her sense of self has been neglected, betrayed, shattered, torn up and it's it's hard to find your way out of that and it's hard not to personalize that behavior if i could just go back harken back for a moment i didn't finish my thought on so when i'm talking to partners about what's going on in their brain and i want them to be heard i help a partner understand how she can share her truth so it's not minimizing her truth with her addicted spouse or partner it's sharing her truth in a way that he can hear her truth that might be through a letter it might be through you know, a a guided session with a couple's therapist. It might be in a workshop, but I want that addict who's trying to, to heal 
And if he, if his, that amygdala, right, that little part of the, the limbic system is being triggered through the auditory canal, her saying, you know, damn you, how could you do this? I hate you. And, you know, all of that, he's going to shut down. He can't, he literally can't hear her. So what will happen is partners will share with me, I don't feel heard. I feel like I'm banging my head against a wall. I feel like he doesn't understand or empathize with the pain that he's causing, and they are right. So when we talk about psychoeducation and helping partners understand what's going on, not only in their own nervous system and brain and limbic system, but what's also going on in their significant other. And when I do that work in workshops and retreats and and couple sessions, Oh my gosh, Rob. I mean, it it is so eye-opening. Clients are so hungry. They're so eager to learn about, please help me understand why he or she is doing this and help me understand how I can be heard. So I hope that helps sort of finish that that thought for the partners who might be listening today. Hey there. I sure hope you're enjoying this Sex, Love and Addiction podcast. Before we continue, I'd like to remind you that if you or someone you know or love needs treatment for sex addiction, porn addiction, or co-occurring drug problems, Seeking Integrity can help. For more information, please visit our website at www.seekingintegrity.com, that's seekingintegrity.com, or call us at 747-234-4325. And from what I can see, Mari, you've become more than simply someone who sees partners or understands these issue, issues. You've kind of become a go-to person for CSATs and other professionals, because I see you online all the time, with a whole set of materials explaining to them the really challenging part of letting someone know what's happened in your relationship that you didn't know about. Meaning that we have lots of partners who say, look, I, I think I can work through this, but I need to know everything that's happened. I don't want to be in the dark, whether it was my neighbor or my sister or someone I never met. I need to know what you were doing. And you and I both agree that partners, if they want to stay in an intimate relationship, if they want their relationship to be intimate, have a right to say, hey, I want to know what's going on. But that is such a painful and difficult process that with so many treacherous potholes, somehow you've managed to help a lot of therapists learn how to negotiate through it. And I'm wondering what it is that you're giving out to professionals and what people are getting from you that you think is really helping them with the disclosure process. Thank you, Rob. Yeah, well, when I first came into this work, you know, many moons ago, one of the most complex parts of couples recovery is what's called clinical formal disclosure. And what does that mean? That means that the addict and the partner agree to come into a sacred healing space and the addict through a process with his therapist or her therapist discloses all of the sexual secrets and the betrayals that might include finances, that might include affairs, that might include pornographies, whatever it is that have been denied the partner where she's felt gaslit in the in the partnership. And so gaslighting, um, just to, to clarify that, is a process where there's been staggered disclosure, where the addict is using deception to create mistruths, what I call fog, blowing fog into the relationship, where the partner feels fear, obligation, and guilt. 
where she feels like she's walking through fog thinking, wait a minute, am I crazy? I, I mean, I just walked in and I saw something on your screen and now you're slamming your screen shut, adamantly denying it. But am I, did I see something else? And so over a, a time, the partner begins to doubt their own reality. Listen, if you tell me red is blue and blue is red, and I'm going to get confused too. Well, and, and listen, why that is so dangerous for any addicts that might be listening to this or addicts in recovery, you don't want to ever use gaslighting on your beloved because the intuition in human beings is one of the most powerful gifts we have. And when you send a woman out in the world who is doubting her own intuition, you make that woman very vulnerable, very vulnerable to attack, very vulnerable to rape, very vulnerable in many, many ways. To depression, oh, to anxiety, yes. to, I mean, our, our intuition is what helps keep us aligned internally. Oh, absolutely. And so when when you take that gift away from someone, there's a reckoning to pay for that, you know, beyond just what's going on in the relationship. But anyway, to get back on track with formal disclosure and your question about what I'm doing that has been helpful. Working, yes. Mm -hmm, right. What's working is I, do, I didn't think that there was enough of a roadmap, a system that really supported and honored the partner and prepared her for formal disclosure because formal disclosure, even if the partner knows everything, is still a traumatic wounding of that partner. It's traumatic to hear this, even if they know everything. It's traumatic to sit in that formal disclosure session and hear everything being disclosed, even when partners deeply and desperately want that information so that they can feel like they have terra firma, a firm ground to stand on. Well, listen, if you had cancer and I loved you, I, I wouldn't want to hear all the bad news either. But on the other side, I really want to know what's going on. And even if it's terrifying and upsetting and overwhelming, I need to know. And I don't think it's that different for these partners. I don't think it's that different at all. But the thing is, is with that particular example, the partner feels like they have cancer too. The partners of sex addicts feel like they have cancer too, that they, and they're being denied, you know, the healing tools in order to get well. And so one of the most important healing tools that we can give a partner is for the addict, even though it's anxiety provoking, it's also traumatizing for addicts to work with a therapist, gain the tools that they need to gain, to be able to sit in that room and say, I'm giving you the gift of making a decision based on full disclosure, based on full truth, you get to decide whether or not you want to remain in this relationship with me and move forward. And I found oftentimes that partners do, although on occasion partners will choose to no longer be in that relationship. And it's that partner's decision. We can't tell a partner, you know, you, you have to stay if he does this. That's not fair. They don't know what they don't know is, you know, the saying that we use a lot. So when that, that partner has a benefit of understanding exactly what's going on, then they have the benefit of staying and actually working towards something with both feet on the ground, or they have the choice of leaving if it just doesn't feel like a, a relationship that is healthy for them, and they get to make that choice. One thing that I will say, an example that I'll give a lot of times that partners really respond to, Rob, is, Mari, I don't understand this. You know, I feel like I'm on a beach with my addicted spouse, 
and I am building the sandcastle as quick as I can or building this boat. That's even a better example. I'm building this boat and I'm doing everything I can so that we can leave this one shore of unhealth and deception and addiction. And we can go over to that shore over there that we can see on the horizon over there where it's health and healing and connection and intimacy and all of these healthy things that I want for the relationship. And so my significant other says that's what he wants or what she wants. But then all of a sudden, I look up and they're taking the nails out of the boat or they're dumping water in the boat or they're sawing a hole in the middle of the boat. Meaning and meaning they're calling the girlfriend. They're still looking at porn. They're lying to me. Right. Mm -hmm. They're still they're still active in their addiction. And so then, you know, even if we get into the, the boat and we're, we're cruising along and I'm paddling, but we're not getting anywhere, I'll turn around and say, hey, what's going on? And I notice that he's paddling back or drilling a hole in the bottom of the boat and denying that he's doing that. Right. So I, that's why formal disclosure is helpful. But we're sinking. <laughs> but we're sinking. No, we're not sinking. Right. So that's why having a, a system, a, a dedicated roadmap where there's, mm. you know, four steps to formal disclosure. It's not just a one and done. There's prep involved with formal disclosure. There's a formal disclosure. There's what's called the emotional impact session where the partner has the opportunity to share how this has impacted her with healing witnesses. And there's the letter of restitution or forgiveness where the addict is really taking thoughtful time, right, and integrity and writing a letter and taking full, you know, a deeper level of ownership. And this takes time. So that's why I created that formal disclosure packet for therapists to help them walk through this very complex process with clients. We need to have a focused roadmap for the treatment team. Otherwise, it falls off the rails really quick. So now I want to ask you, uh, I want to make a statement for the addicts, and I want to ask you a, t a tough question. For me, it's a tough question. The statement is um, just that I think it's really important for the addict that this happened too. It's not only a gift for the partner, for the person who's been engaging in extensive infidelity or sexual acting out. What you have to understand is that every time the person that you most love, if you want to stay with them and you're trying to work it out, every time they look at you with love, with affection, with caring, and you haven't told them something about yourself. That gives you the opportunity to say, well, if they knew this, they wouldn't love me. If they knew that, they wouldn't love me. And addicts are really good at giving themselves reasons why they're unlovable, as Mari was saying earlier with all those scripts. So if you're someone who's carrying deep, enduring secrets from the person that you are closest to, you'll never be close to them. And not only that, but you'll never be able to feel the love that they have to offer because you will always have a reason why you don't deserve it. And that is one of the main reasons for the addict to clear the boards, because then they can begin to feel the love that actually may still be there for them. And here's my question. Um, so Mari, you and I are, are privileged. You know, We get to work with people who have the money for therapy, the resources. And not only that, they get to find us as specialists in sexual addiction and, and addictive disorders and, and infidelity. And, they, you know, and that's wonderful. I'm so glad that we, listen, we didn't exist 30 years ago. There wasn't a uh, there weren't enough people trained in this way. Thank goodness we are. And thank Pat Carnes for doing it for that matter. But on the other hand, when I write books like Out of the Doghouse, and by the way, Mari, I really, that's one I'm going to make you read because Out of the Doghouse is a book about partner empathy and what a male addict needs to do to understand the pain of how he's hurt a, a woman that he loves. I've read that book. It's a wonderful book. And it's a book that I recommend to most all of my clients. Yes. 
You go, girl. Thank you. It's a wonderful book, Rob. Yes. But here's my question, okay? And I really want... So here we are in our privileged world where we get to, and I don't mean that in an arrogant way, but I do mean that a private practice therapist who you know either does or doesn't take insurance, there's so many people who never get to see us. They're afraid to. They don't have the right insurance. They don't ever get to an expert. So here's the thing, and I want to really ask you this, and I honestly don't have an answer. When I was writing Out of the Doghouse, one of the things I had to talk about was disclosure. And I had a whole big chapter prepared and I was all ready to, and then I realized, well, wait a minute, a lot of these people aren't going to be in therapy. A lot of these people may not be able to afford it. They may never see an expert. Even if they get to a local community mental health center or something, that person is not going to be able to take on disclosure because they're not trained. And so the question comes up and I don't know the answer. How do we help couples that are not going to get to therapy for whatever reasons, not get to a professional, but also want to find some measure of truth and honesty in their relationships and move past this in a clean way? How do we help them to do that without, excuse my language, screwing it up? Yeah, I think it's a great question. Doesn't Thank you. Yeah. I struggle with it. Yeah, I, I think it's a wonderful question. I think it's a question that deserves to be asked. And I'll do my best to answer that question for you, Rob. It's a question that I, that I think about a lot. And it's the main reason why I co-authored uh, Facing Heartbreak. And I'm really not trying to plug the book, but... No, you need to mention that. So mention that, please. Yeah. So it's the main reason why I co-authored the book Facing Heartbreak, which is a workbook uh, for partners, both partners who can afford, either have insurance. I, I don't happen to work with insurance, but for partners who do have insurance and they can work with um, a therapist who is a CSAT who does accept insurance or for um, partners who can afford to see a therapist. And it's also written for mainly for those partners who just, one, either are you know, a CSAT therapist or a therapist who is willing to learn about sex addiction isn't available because of logistics. There, maybe they live, you know, somewhere that it's really hard to get to a therapist. And some people don't have insurance; they don't have the financial means, or there's there is a disability, or they've got three kids and three jobs, and they don't have time to see. You know, yeah, all of those things. So. I, I think that we are doing a good job of helping those partners. We're not magicians, you know, it's not my job to, you know, solve the world's problem, but I can provide resources like Healing Betrayal, which is a downloadable ebook that's really inexpensive for that partner who is brokenhearted, who has just found out, just discovered all of these sexual betrayals, and they're sitting out there on their laptop or their their iPad at midnight, they're sobbing, they don't know what to do. And they and I'm hoping that they can find Healing Betrayal and download that. And it's it's a ebook that walks them first through the very first steps and points them into resources that are open source, free resources, some that are paid resources. So there's that. I also provide, you know, a lot of clinical work and support through Facing Heartbreak. I do these podcasts on a very regular basis. I speak and I teach sometimes pro bono and 12-step programs. So yeah, there's a lot of resources out there. So what you're really saying is that there are options and available. You know, for example, we have drop-in groups on sex and relationship healing. There is the wonderful ebook that you're talking about. There is Out of the Doghouse. There are books on partner betrayal and healing that that will not leave the partner feeling like they're at fault and will provide some guidelines toward how to make things better. Ultimately, people are going to find their truth and they're either going to work through it or they're not. And, you know, there are some things that people can't tolerate and there are some things that they can. And, you know, everyone is along a continuum. But the gift that you're giving, Mari, is you're bringing the attention, and I don't like to use this word, but I will, to the victim. 
because I do believe that partners in relationships with addicts are victimized. I do believe that they're told lies by the person they feel they should believe. And, you know, and then they're manipulated and they're sold a bill of goods and all that stuff and the protection of the addiction. But ultimately, no one ever said, I want to be in a marriage where I'm lied to, betrayed, and violated. I don't think anybody signed up for that. So if that's what happens on some level, you have been victimized by your relationship. And Mari's focus on making sure that the partner gets equal time, equal attention, equal support, when we often will look more to the addict because they're making all the noise, is a big gift of what Mari Lee brings to this work. So Mari, thank you. Um, was there something else you want to add to this? Well, first of all, you're welcome. And thank you, Rob. I really appreciate those you know, kind and affirming words very much. Um, I am very passionate about supporting not only partners, but addicts as well, and couples. And what I will say is, you know, partners, I agree with you. You know, there has been um, victimizing behavior, abusive behavior. You know, I, I refer to my partners as survivors and thrivers because really what I love to do with partners is equip them. They're, they're afraid and they're frustrated and they're scared and they've been hijacked, you know, um, and they're just trying to find a way to, you know, again, stand on firm ground, have specific tools. And so I really help them move away from this idea of victimization and more into a place of, listen, you can't control that person's behavior. Many addicts confuse intimacy with intensity because of their own trauma and they're acting out of that trauma, but that doesn't give them an excuse to continue to hurt or harm you. Just like you don't need to be told that by staying with the addict and wanting to work on the relationship that you're codependent. You have an investment into this relationship with this person. You may have children with this person. You may have years with this person or even months with this person. Whatever it is, you're invested with this person. It's okay for you to want to learn tools to, one, help yourself. It's okay to learn how to set what I call tangible and organic boundaries. And, and partners really struggle with knowing how to set boundaries because they don't understand the consequence piece of that. Consequence to them means ultimatum for the addict. And that's a very different thing. So helping partners learn these various tools, learn a new way of moving through their healing process that empowers them and doesn't victimize themselves or victimize or feel like they have to control or give the addict ultimatums. Wow. I mean, talk about genuine healing. That's what it's all about to me, Rob. Ladies and gentlemen. Mari Lee. <laughs> Mari, tell me, I knew this would be fun to do this with you. I'm so glad we did. Tell me how people can reach you, some of the resources, if they're partners who want to go on a retreat. I think you do them later in the year. Tell us a little bit about that before we finish up. Yes. So um, if you're a partner and you're listening to this, I would love to invite you to come and join us at the Shine Retreat for Women. It's a healing retreat. It's in Laguna Beach, California. It's this September, uh, the weekend of the 27th through the 29th. It is a weekend for all women, no matter your your age, ethnicity, orientation, size. It's a wonderful, safe, beautiful healing weekend retreat. And you can find that on the shineretreatforwomen.com. 
also I have a couple of books. Of course, there's Facing Heartbreak, uh, Steps to Recovery for Partners of Sex Addicts, and that can be found on Amazon. And then my other book, which is called Healing from Betrayal, First Steps for Healing for Partners of Sex Addicts, and that can be found on either Amazon or on um, my website, either one of them. And I, I think, Rob, probably you'll have all of this information and links, um, hopefully, in the show notes. So so folks can learn about that if they like. We will. And, and I also want to invite you, if you'd consider it, to do a webinar or two live with me. We put them up on the site on sex and relationship healing. And that's an opportunity for people to see you live talking about, you know, you would be an ideal person to do maybe just a half hour video on, on what is disclosure? How does it work? How do you work? You know, I really like experts to talk about what they're good at. And this is something you're very good at. So I hope you join us again. Oh, it'd be my, my sincere pleasure. And I would just say to the um, addicts that are listening right now to our talk, you know, just keep doing the good work. It's it's hard. It's not easy to heal, but you deserve to have a really solid, good relationship with yourself. And only then can you have a really solid and good relationship that you're proud of with your significant other. So start there. And for the partner, don't lose hope. You know, don't lose hope. Find your community. Find your tribe of women. Don't forget that, you know, you can't do this work, this healing work in isolation. You know, so reach out. Find the support of other women or men and find that healing in community. Thank you so much, Rob. Maury, thank you so very much, folks. Maury Lee, and um, talk to you guys soon. Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our Treatment Center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com. There you'll find some useful information about the residential treatment we provide, which I think is some of the best, most useful, short-term, effective, intensive care you can find for sexual addiction and compulsivity, as well as combined drug sex or chem sex problems. On SeekingIntegrity.com, you can find some useful advice and direction for healing. And don't forget, if you want to write me about this podcast or reach any of my guests, please write me at Rob at SeekingIntegrity.com. I really look forward to our next time together. Take good care.